Welcome back, Somerville, to the Somerville Advice Givers Podcast, where we connect you with the advice you need for when life happens to you. I'm your host, Yaden Smith, and this week, our guest on the show is Somerville's Michael Lyle, who is the uh, director of, is director the official title, Michael? Yes. CEO, head honcho, chief bottle washer, do y'all even have bottles? All of the above. All of the above. Over at Somerville Dream, start right off the gate. Uh, Michael, what does Dream stand for? Just before we do anything else, uh, it, when we were originally, I know it's downtown restoration enhancement and, and management. Oh, okay, and management. That was the original acronym. Yeah, we've we've sort of taken the acronym element out of it, but Dream is is so well known, and I believe so widely respected in the community. It's it's just who we are, and it really speaks to the aspirational goals and vision that we and the merchants and other businesses in downtown have for what downtown Somerville is and can be. Right. That's, that's, that's excellent. I'm really, I'm really excited to talk with you about how you came to work at Dream. Uh, I know when, when you sent me the information about you know, how you got there, you didn't start out with the goal of jumping into the nonprofit sector. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, it wasn't part of the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 50-year plan even. Uh, I grew up and came of age in the late 80s. You know, the, the whole Wall Street greed is good. Mm-hmm. Michael Douglas character on the movie Wall right. Street. Uh, and so my vision, I went to college, got my undergrad degree in business management. I was going to make my first million and retire by the time I was 30, 35 of years course. old. And uh, somewhere like along everybody. the way, yeah, somewhere <laughs> along the way, I, I tell people I got bitten by the nonprofit bug. The uh, it's not fatal, but the effects were permanent for me. Nice. And when did you start working with Dream? Like, walk us through the story. I know when you in your email, you were at Publix. Right. Uh, what were you doing at Publix? Were you were you checking people out, running the produce, meats, assistant manager? You know, what were you doing there? One of the fabulous things about Publix, and they're a great company to work for, uh, is that they really do a great job of bringing people through all of the stations, all of the levels to prepare them for uh, jobs in management. And so I was in the management training program. I had done everything from bagging groceries to running a checkout to, uh, at the time I left, I was actually working on an overnight stock crew. We were responsible for receiving the, uh, the groceries into the store and making sure they were put up on the shelves. And at that time, Publix did all of that work overnight so that it didn't impact, you know, customers in the store. Mm-hmm. I, I realized after a series of heart-to-heart conversations with my store's management team that that was probably not my calling. Ultimately, <laughs> Re, you know, I have a tremendous admiration for folks who work in retail yeah. and appreciate people who uh, are great at the customer service aspect. Uh, you know, and it's important sometimes in your career not just to figure out what you're good at, but to figure out what you're really not good at. Right. Uh, and so I moved from there. Hopefully, to, figure out what you're not good at early on. Early that's, enough. <laughs> that's the ideal. Uh, I moved from there to working for Columbia HCA Healthcare. Spent a couple of years working with them in human resources, which uh, has served me well in my nonprofit career. I ended up going to work with a good friend of mine who was running a nonprofit. And we kind of, we were sitting around having coffee one day and he said, you know, I've got this observation that there are a tremendous number of fantastic people who work in nonprofits. They're excellent at service delivery, whether you're working with kids or seniors or the homeless or the hungry, they're tremendous at delivering services, but they struggle to run their nonprofit like a business. And at the end of the day, you have to run like a business. Absolutely. It is a business. And so... That was an opportunity for me to bring my 
educational background into working for some uh, a particular nonprofit that I felt like was making a difference in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, my wife and I talked about it. The first time he asked, we you know I talked with her and I came back to him and said, you know, John, I appreciate that, but I'm not really looking for a pay cut right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> not part of yeah, not part of the five or ten year plan. Uh, and so he ended up hiring someone else. And as things go, about six months later, that person you know didn't work out. And so he comes back to me and says, I'd really, really love for you to think about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talked some more about it and decided I'd take a year. You know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it my all for a year. If it works, wonderful. If it doesn't, you know, I'll hop back into the private sector. And, right. Uh, it, well, I'll at least know. I'll have had that experience, scratch the itch or whatever. Uh, and a year later, I ended up having the opportunity to run my own nonprofit. And it's been 20 years and I haven't looked back. Wow. That's phenomenal. It's exciting. It's it's. Again, wasn't part of my long-term vision, but uh, the opportunity to apply the education I've gotten, the skills mm-hmm. I've developed, and and to do something that I feel like is making a positive difference in the community, there is a reward in that that I don't know that I could fully articulate. How many years have you been with Dream now? I've been here a year and a half. Started gotcha. with them back in the fall of 2016. Wow. Well, I remember... Let's see. When did Dream start? How long has Dream been around? We celebrated our 25th anniversary this past fall. We started in the fall of 92. Fall of 92. I remember when it got started, Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in Somerville, like Dream, Somerville Dream, downtown restoration. So for perspective, for those of you who live in Somerville and go through Town Square on a Saturday, you know there's, there's cars everywhere, there are pedestrians walking everywhere. In 1992... My Boy Scout troop, Troop 730, every year we would do a fundraiser. We would do a car wash. And we would shut down the town square all day Saturday. Wow. To take cars through. We coordinated with the fire department. We'd have a fire truck and a fire hose and buckets and brushes. We'd have, you know, 40 or 50 Boy Scouts out there. And we would try and wash 100 cars. You know, normally we'd get to like 130 or 150. I think one year we almost got to 200 cars. That's incredible. But I think about that... 25 years ago and like (laughs) there's no way there's no way you could do that now because every parking spot is filled absolutely pretty much you know any time of day on any day we're incredibly fortunate Uh, you know it's amazing the, the vision of the folks who started dream 25 plus years ago to uh really seek to revitalize a downtown that had a significant amount of vacancy there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot going on uh, you know they've preserved something that many towns and cities wish they still had and yeah. that's a strong downtown core uh, you see it in other communities here in the Charleston area and I won't name names but there are a number that really lack that that sort of central downtown core oh, that Somerville right. has you're right that's one of the things that I love love about Somerville is we're not the big city as much as we like to complain about traffic. Right. You know, this is not Atlanta. That's true. (laughs) That's true. It's not Dallas. Uh, Although it does seem unreasonable the amount of time it takes to get from, you know, on Main Street to the freeway Friday at 4. But having that core identity of downtown walkability, you know, you come out, you park, you know, two blocks away on Third Thursday, and walk around. You can spend several hours just walking around, checking out the shops, getting something to eat, yes. enjoying the music, have a drink at uh, the wine. God, what's the name of the wine place? Accent on yeah, wine. Yeah, Accent on yeah. wine. I'm sorry, Stefan. Uh, yeah, have, have a glass of wine or go across the street for beer at Homegrown. You know? 
right? It's, it's fantastic. We we again we're we're just so fortunate that we've got something that many other municipalities wish they had, mm-hmm. and that is a very traditional Southern downtown. Yeah. We've got a fantastic history that even as we grow, it's important for us to preserve that history to make sure that the people who come along after us understand where we've come from. And and even as we grow and have a larger population and start experiencing some different things, because you look at the different generations, they've got different wants and right. desires and experiential preferences. And as we, as we start doing things that do more to accommodate uh, those preferences for millennials and Gen Z that comes along after them, it is still important that we preserve that history. And you know, we've, we've got a really a unique spot in downtown Somerville between the historic district and the business district that's even north of the railroad tracks. And uh, we want to do everything we can to preserve that, to help it grow, to create a, a, an economy that works mm-hmm. for everyone and where small businesses have the opportunity to be successful. Right. So talk talk a little bit about that small business opportunity to be successful and how that like what is what's the value what's the mission statement that's the word I'm looking for absolutely the core you know two or three sentences the dream has this is what we're about our mission is to ultimately improve the quality of life in Somerville by helping to improve the aesthetic the cultural the social and the economic elements of the downtown area that really is the heart of what we're about. Uh, And at the same time, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to preserve our historic identity. And it isn't Mm -hmm. just the architecture. You, you, You talk about the history of Somerville and, you know, where we've come from over the last 170 or so years since since the town was officially right. founded. There is a tremendous history there that we need to do everything we can to help preserve while, again, at the same time, making sure that we're presenting an opportunity for not just the people who've lived here for 40, 50 years, their whole lives, whatever the case may be, but for the people who are going to be coming here, because that is the reality. We look right. at the population projections and, you know, you think about the triangle between Somerville, Goose Creek, Monk's Corner, 70,000 new rooftops over the next decade. Mm-hmm. Those folks are going to be coming here. They're going to be looking for a place to adopt as their new hometown. Right. And we certainly want Somerville not just the downtown, but with with our emphasis on the downtown, we want the downtown to be positioned to reap the economic benefit of that growth right. that's coming. So, you know, doing some things differently, perhaps even looking at the, the possibility of creating downtown residential opportunities, looking at the, the types of businesses that may be missing from the downtown business mix, uh, doing what we can to help recruit those businesses to retain the businesses that we have, give them opportunities to expand, create that economic climate that rising tide, if you will, that's going yeah. to lift all boats. And as for Dream, I know that y'all work in connection with uh, your resource for city government. Absolutely, resource We're- for businesses who want to open shop in in downtown area. Yes. Where does y'all's funding come from as a nonprofit? Is it, is it grants? Is it private donations? It's really a mix, and, yeah. and that is you know. From two decades of working in nonprofit administration, it really has to be a diverse funding stream. You don't mm-hmm. want to become overly reliant on one particular source. We do receive. And grants. when you say, I'm sorry to interrupt, sure. but when you say nonprofit, five hundred one c three, we are because I know there's there's different there's different types. When I interviewed Rachel uh, Cole with Smooth Sailing, mm-hmm. she was talking about 
all the, there's more than one type of nonprofit. There absolutely are. You but y'all have, are 501c3. We're a c3. Okay. We started out years ago as a 501c6, which is a membership organization, okay. sort of like a chamber of commerce. Right. Uh, but we transitioned probably six years ago to a 501c3, which is a more traditional nonprofit. Right. That's what everybody thinks of right. as a nonprofit. Right. And so you know we've we've worked to diversify our funding stream. We do receive grants. Uh, we receive funding through the town of Somerville for mm-hmm. both local and state hospitality and accommodation. Right. tax. Uh, we receive grant funding through the South Carolina Parks, Rec, and Tourism Department. And all of those funds are really designed to help us get the message of Somerville out beyond just uh, the, the Somerville area. Beyond people who are already area. here. Exactly. We, we do a lot of advertising in the Columbia area. We do a lot of advertising in Myrtle Beach. We've done yeah. some advertising in the upstate. And the idea there is to encourage people to come to this area, uh, you know, while we think we're a destination, Parks, Rec, and Tourism tells us that we are an attraction to the Charleston area. So a lot of our advertising yeah. is aimed at helping people who are coming to the Charleston area. You're coming for, to Charleston anyway. Exactly. Come spend a day in Somerville. That's really it. Just making sure people are aware of what, we're, what we've are what we got going on in Somerville, what we have to offer. Uh, events we certainly promote, not right. just Third Thursday, but obviously we've got a fantastic Christmas parade. We've got Y'all the got Sweet the Christmas Tea Festival. Parade, Sweet Tea Festival, Red, White, and Blue on the Green. Red, White, and Blue on the Green has become yeah. a partnership with the town that we're excited about. And we do some different things with Third Thursday during yeah. the year. Uh, in May, for example, our Third Thursday is going to be focused on the area nonprofits. They've got fantastic stories to tell. Nice. And Third Thursday is a great venue for us to be able to give them a platform to get that message out to more people. Right. June, uh, summertime, typically we do some things like Author Author, which is a great opportunity for local authors to come out. Uh, We help locate them in some of our local businesses. People can then come in, get a book signed, meet those authors, ask questions. So a lot of things that we do that really are designed not just to bring people into downtown, which Mm -hmm. is certainly fantastic, but to get them into our local businesses. We've got a lot of great businesses in downtown Somerville that are locally owned and that we want to make sure you're, people you're know about. You're facilitating residents building relationships with the nonprofits, with the businesses, with with authors, all these things. Absolutely. That's yeah. it's important for us. We we want to make sure not only that we are reaching out to people who are going to come and visit mm-hmm. from other parts of the state, but we want to make sure as well that we're reengaging our residents and just helping them to to really feel involved and connected with the life of downtown, both from right. a social aspect as well as an economic aspect. Yeah, that's so good, so good. Okay, so Mike, we're going to jump on to the advice giving part of the Somerville Advice Givers. Absolutely. Right? So, with with your diverse background and you being an expert in your field, mm-hmm. what would be some pieces of advice that you could give, uh, you know, a, a regular family, uh, mom, a dad, you know, somebody here in the area to improve their life? Well, yeah, I really approached this as I was kind of thinking about what, what I'd offer as advice from not only the perspective of having run a nonprofit, but thinking about being small business people as well. Uh, and the first piece of advice that I give to anyone who indicates to me they're thinking about opening up a, a business or something of that nature is mentoring, mm. you know, being humble enough to recognize that you don't know at all. Right. Uh, and, and seeking out people who can mentor you, help develop those areas where you need additional development, but also being willing once you've acquired the expertise, the knowledge, the experience 
to offer that same benefit to other people. Uh, I've been fortunate in my own career to have been surrounded by people who were willing to invest themselves in me and and teach me the things that they knew, help me uh, sometimes to be able to avoid learning by making mistakes. I can learn from, from the benefit of their experience. They say learning from your own mistakes is how you gain knowledge. Right. Wisdom is learning from somebody else's mistakes. That's what they say. <laughs> they you know, say good judgment comes from experience and experience right. comes from bad judgment. <laughs> So there is there's a bit of a cycle there, but mentoring, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, it's critically important for not just skill acquisition, but frankly, it just helps to continue building that social fabric as well. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, another thing that that I say to folks is learn how to really listen. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. that that old adage that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right. But it, you know, it's another element where you can really be. Uh, you can be an active participant in your own learning by, by learning to, to stop talking and just listen to people. Mm-hmm. Um, another area that I would suggest is um, being willing to take calculated, educated risks. Uh, you know, some people... I like how you qualify that. Oh, absolutely. Don't do, just run up to the edge of the cliff and jump. Do not count on the universe rewarding you for <laughs> what you do not know. Wait, say that again. Say it again. Do not count on the universe rewarding you for what you do not know. Oh, my gosh. That needs to be my motto right there. You know, folks, there's a lot of information available, especially (laughs) for people who are thinking about opening up a small business or starting a new nonprofit. You know, I I talk to people a lot about nonprofit work, and I say to them, the last thing the world needs is one more nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You know, not to squash anyone's idea or, or dampen their enthusiasm, but the reality is there are a lot of great, nonprofits. There are a lot of great small businesses out there. So if you've got an idea, do your research, educate yourself, understand the opportunities, understand the potential risks that are involved. Right. And then you have to make that decision whether the opportunity and the potential benefits outweigh those those risks. But, you know, I really, I like to strongly discourage people from just jumping in and trying something because they get some emotional charge out of an idea that runs through their head. Mm-hmm. Do your homework. And then they run out of emotional energy six months later. And there and they are. And they run into all the things that they didn't realize they were going to run into. Yeah. Now, there are times when taking a risk is appropriate. You know, Absolutely. Uh, David Lloyd George used to say, you know, don't be afraid to take a big step if one is indicated. The reality is you can't cross a chasm in two small jumps. Yep. <laughs> sometimes you have to there you go. Sometimes you have to take that risk. There you go. But make sure that you've given yourself as much information as possible. Make sure that you've educated yourself and, and don't run off and do it just based on this whirl of emotion because, as you said, you're going to eventually mm-hmm. run out of that steam and there's going to have to be something substantive there to power you and keep you moving forward. The universe will not... Re- don't count on the universe rewarding you for what you don't for know. For what you don't know. Oh, my goodness. Done. We're finished. <laughs> Whole interview is worth it for that phrase right there. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, another thing that I tell folks is you know, we talk a lot about this really mythical thing called work life balance. Uh, <laughs> uh, forget it. There is no such animal. Right. And I, and I say to people sometimes, if, if your work is so negative that you need something to balance it out, go find something else to do mm-hmm. because you're not. <laughs> You're not in the you're not right be place. You're not going to able to get that balance. Well, and you're, you're not. The secret is being able to focus intently on what you're doing at the time, really being in the moment. So when you are at work, 
you're at work. Right. When you're with your family, you're with your family. When you're out playing golf or doing whatever else you're you know, work-life balance is, is, is this construct we've created for people who are unhappy with what they do. And I think the last statistic I saw said about 70% of people report being dissatisfied with their employment. Right. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a fixable thing. I mean, you know, the expression, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. You, you really, you invest yourself in what you're doing. Now, yeah, absolutely, you need other things to do. You need things away from work that that fulfill you as well. But gosh, if work is such a negative that you need something else in your life to just balance that out and make you happy to be alive, you really have to think about finding something else to do. And that sort of leads me into this last piece of advice, and I take it myself. Uh, It's a concept, a Japanese concept called ikigai. Okay. And and that, that Japanese word sort of loosely translates into finding your highest purpose. Keep going. Giving yourself a reason to live. And what it really looks at is the intersection of four different elements. Uh, The first is, what do I love to do? The second is, what am I good at? Because sometimes those are two different things. I've seen this Venn diagram. Yeah, I've I've got a copy of it with me here. But, you know, so what am I good at? Mm -hmm. There's a practical consideration. What can I get paid for? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> what, what can I get paid to do? Because, you know, I, I may love golf. I'm not particularly good at it. And so I can't get paid for right. it. Uh, but then the last thing and probably the least considered element is what does the world need? Mm-hmm. You know, the world does not need me to play golf. Right. I enjoy it, but the world does not need me to do that. And so the idea is you really want to find the intersection of all four of these elements. And that gives you your truest purpose, your reason for living, your reason for being. Uh, if you, if you leave one of those elements out, you know, you can still have a great life, but you're, you know, that maximum sense of fulfillment isn't going to be there. So there's you know, a very practical element to it in terms of making sure that it's something that you do well and you can get paid for. But mm-hmm. there's also that element of understanding, does the world need this? Right. Uh, and, and that doesn't apply just to nonprofit work, as important as the work that great nonprofits do. You know, there are elements of that in the private sector as well. The world needs people who make things. The world yeah. needs people who can market. The world needs people who can run businesses. You, so, have, to figure, you have to figure out why you're doing something. Why should you exist in the marketplace? Whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're a for-profit, whether you're a certain, you know, right. all these things. Ultimately, what is the value that you bring? And, and you really maximize that value by figuring out the answer to all four of those questions. And it occurs to me, because I'm thinking about this, in t- the, the phrase that I've heard is in real estate market, people oftentimes will, will use the term highest and best use. Right. Right? So, for example, in Somerville, there is a cattle farm right in the middle of town, right in the middle of town. <laughs> yes. In between Main Street and Berlin G, mm-hmm. right there. And at some point, it's not going to be a farm anymore because its highest and best use is going to so outweigh it being a farm that something else, it's going to turn into something else. Right. Uh, that's and not- I'm thinking about how highest and best use changes over time. Putting, putting a huge shopping center on the outskirts of St. George not really a good idea right now. Yet. Yet. <laughs> you know, having having shops and things sprinkled throughout Somerville, there are people here who need that. And Correct. highest and best use, I think with Ikigai, did I, am I saying that right, Ikigai? I think so. Close enough. Close enough for, you know, a boy from Somerville is being able to realize when those things change 
Yeah, it evolves over time, you know, as right. as you age, as you gain life experience, as you mature, evolve, whatever you want to call it, that highest and best use, that reason for being Mm -hmm. is going to naturally change you know very few of us find it right out of the chute when we're 22 (laughs) years old fresh out of college you think you found it when you're 17 absolutely (laughs) you you have an idea and and you may very well have one or two of those questions answered right or at least what you think the answer might be Uh, but that's going to ebb and flow and it's going to evolve over the course of your life and you know even now as i am knocking on the door of of 50 i'm not sure that i have completely found it i i feel like I am where I need to be at this point in my life. And mm-hmm. I think that's a fantastic thing. But as I continue to grow, as I continue to evolve, you keep that, having that conversation. What do I want to be when I grow up? Exactly. Exactly. That's and, awesome. and, and it's, and it's good for us to do that because yes. that challenge of growing, of, of questioning your assumptions and, and those assumptions can get locked in. You know, you've been doing something for 10 or 20 or 30 years, those assumptions about your life can get pretty well locked in. But it's good to, it's good to question those from time to time. And again, just, it's just a check-in, just making sure, same reason you go to the doctor every year. I don't think anything's wrong. Am I still on the right track? Yep. Let's let's check and be sure. That's it. That's so good. I love it, Michael. Next, let's jump into what we call the final four. Okay. All right. So we got final, four final questions. Question number one. So I know in in the packet it says when work is over, but you and I both know that work almost never actually stops. True. So I've I've modified the question. I haven't changed the packet yet. When you take a break from work and you play, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is being able to spend time with my family. My mm-hmm. my kids are older now. My son is 17. My daughter is 20. They both work. My wife works. So it's a, a rare occasion when the four of us are all able to get together and spend time with one another. Uh, you know, we're all precious kind of, when that happens. It absolutely is. You know, whether we're going out and playing golf together, whether we're just hanging out in the backyard, whatever the case may be, I love mm-hmm. being able to spend time with my family. And, you know, whether it's a car trip, whether it's just hanging out together at the house watching a movie. That's, awesome. uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I like to golf. I'm not particularly good at it, <laughs> but I like it. Um, it's a fun way to spend an afternoon. And we've, we've hit most of the courses here in Somerville over the last few years. And, and, you know, some are better for me than others. <laughs> uh, beyond that, I like to read right now. I'm reading three different books. And okay. I found that that for me, that, that just works. Some people are like, I can only read one at a time, but uh, one of the books I'm reading is How Successful People Think, which is a book by John Maxwell. He is... I love John Maxwell. One of my favorite leadership authors. I, you know, I'm a student of leadership mm-hmm. and just love learning more about leadership styles and how people lead. And, and it's it's been a good book for me in, in really questioning my own thought processes right. sometimes because you get into these into these thinking patterns and it's helping you check your assumptions absolutely right on that's really it the second is a book called radical candor by Kim Malone Scott. She's a former executive okay. at Google. And it's a really for me it was a paradigm shifting book and it looks at how you how you deliver feedback in the course of leadership and this notion that the the best way to do that is from a place where you both care deeply about the people you're working with, but you're also willing to challenge them directly. Right. 
You know, there she kind of creates this X Y axis, and so there are these four quadrants. You know, that the that highest and best, if you will, is mm-hmm. the the concept of radical candor. I I care about you enough that I'm willing to challenge you directly when things aren't going well and give you the feedback that may be tough for you to hear, but you're willing to accept it because you know that I care about you as a person. Because there's a relationship there. Absolutely. You know, in the other quadrants, look at what does it look like if I'm willing to challenge you directly, but I don't care. Well, then I'm just being a obnoxious jerk. (laughs) That's the kind of boss that people quit. Or I care about you, but I'm not willing to challenge you. Or, you know, the worst perhaps of all, I don't care about you and I'm not willing to challenge you. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's really forced me to think differently about work relationships, how I deliver feedback, how I offer leadership. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's a real paradigm shifter for me. That's awesome. Uh, and then there's a third book. book number I'm, three. Give it to us. I'm not sure I can say the whole title on the air, but <laughs> it's called The Subtle Art of the Not Giving Art. A... <laughs> yeah. By Mason? Mark Manson. Mark Manson. Yeah. Yeah, the subtle art of not giving a hoot. There you go. A darn. Radio edit. Yeah, it's it's the benefit for me of that has really challenged uh, my way of thinking. And the the simple concept of the book is really you only have so much emotional energy, so much time, so much resource to give. You can't care about everything in life. Absolutely. So so the the real effective strategy there is to find the two or three things you really care the most deeply about and and then give all of your hoots. Yeah. To, to those things. Um, then you and, really make an impact. Exactly. And it's it's sort of the concept that we've used at Dream over the last year as we've talked about creating a community vision and a plan. And, you know, one approach to doing this type of work is that you can be a mile wide and an inch thick if that's really <laughs> what you want to do. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the approach we're taking is let's find those two or three areas where we feel like we can move the needle, mm-hmm. where we feel like we can really make an impact. And let's drill deeply into those yeah. things. And create strategies to make change. And so this is, this is, uh, that book for me has really been uh, an, another sort of consciousness shifter in thinking about, okay, instead of having to care about all of these things, and it isn't that those things aren't important, but again, you have a limited, a finite amount of time, energy, and effort to mm-hmm. give. So find the two or three, maybe four things that, that mean the most to you and blow those out of the and water. push hard. Absolutely. Awesome. That is really good stuff. Question number two. All right. Question number two is: In the next twelve months, what are what are you most excited about? I think it's actually work-related stuff. Uh, you know, we are we've just in January launched our first ever eighteen-month operations plan based on how our national Main Street has really come back and sort of revised the Main Street model a little bit. Uh, so we spent some time this past fall doing some visioning meetings, gathering some information and input from citizens, and we've developed an eighteen-month operations plan. We've we're, we've sort of launched it now. We've got committees that are in place that are getting ready to take on some of this work. So between now and you know June of next year, we will complete this first plan. We'll use the feedback as sort of a continuous loop to go into oh, another two-year cycle. Uh, so that's exciting. I look forward to seeing what happens. And on a personal level, I'm actually getting ready to start uh, pursuing a professional Main Street accreditation. There, our national organization offers a two-year program at which nice. uh, I can pursue uh, continuing education in the areas of economic economic development, uh, promotion, design, all of the elements that make Main Street programs what they are. And so uh, I'm going to start that this year, and in a couple of years I'll have that, that Main Street professional designation. Congratulations in advance. Thank you. 
Question number three. What's a parting piece of advice you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, um, from a dream perspective, shop local. Uh, you know, there, there are so many Easy. good arguments for buying locally. And that's not to speak ill of our, of our uh, you know, brethren down the street at Walmart, Target, and fantastic places like that. But there are so many great economic reasons to shop downtown. We, not just the ability to build relationships with those merchants over time, to have generations of one family serving generations of mm-hmm. another family, you know, meeting those needs, whether it's clothing, whether it's dining, whatever the case may be but the economic impact you know if you buy local 62 cents out of every dollar stays in the local community and it does things like support little league baseball teams right. it, it provides charitable contributions for organizations Three, four, five, that, six levels deep it exactly and you and going. you're supporting these merchants who are really the front line of economic development in our community you know when you go to shop and you can't get their stuff at walmart no, that is true. <laughs> They're not selling it down the street. And and yeah, you know, nothing against Walmart, but when's the last time you saw them sponsor a little league team? You know, yeah. I, those are the the practical economic considerations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, shopping local pays pays huge dividends. I get from a lot of people it's so much easier to shop Amazon, uh, you know, to to order from the comfort of my home and my pajamas and bunny slippers and whatever the case may be, but there is absolutely no economic return to the community when people are shopping outside of the community. Right. So, you know, for everything that you can, we really strongly encourage people to shop local. Shop local. Hit the coffee shops, hit the restaurants, hit absolutely. the hit the boutiques. It's all here and it's fantastic. Question number four, what's the best way for the audience to get in touch with you? Uh, you know, my cell phone is always on, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Uh, and that's 843-826-0891. Uh, you can reach me by email. My email is pretty simple, michael at somervilledream.org. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the usual social oh, all media the usual suspects. suspects. So fantastic. Absolutely. All right, Michael. Bonus round. Not in the packet. Okay. A little nervous now. Love this question. And don't overthink it. All right? Very good. Could be anything. Uh Uh-huh. What is saving your life right now? Wow. Wow. What is saving your life right now? It could be anything from coffee to a piece of software to a person to a book. What's saving your life right now? I and actually, it's probably a few different things. the The first thing that jumps to mind is we have recently uh, adapted a project management software program uh, at work called Basecamp. Oh yes! And it has been a fantastic lifesaver for me. You know, I I, I always prided myself on being a fairly organized person, Basecamp. but for the last year or so I feel like I've been managing by sticky notes and that's that's a dangerous dangerous place to be with with the work that we have to do so base camp has been great it came to me as a recommendation from a good friend of mine and uh, you know it's we've been using it for a few weeks now and it is it is already producing some dividends the thing I love about base camp is it's it's a flat fee Mm-hmm. And then after that, there's pretty much lo- no limitations. No, and and the great part is we can bring in not just staff but volunteers, and we can connect them with mm-hmm. uh, the other volunteers who are working on the same types of work and projects. And it's just a great way That's to keep awesome. everybody organized. And you know, beyond that, I would say it's it's my wife and my family. You know, they are, you know, as we talked about balance earlier, not necessarily a balance, but they are the place that I like to spend my time primarily when I'm, when I'm not working. 
So, you know, having great, strong relationships. I've got a college age daughter, a high school age son, and we all still enjoy each other's company. There you go. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. That is not it's, nothing. So, you know, we've, we've got great relationships and, and that's, you know, uh, I'm blessed to have the life I have. Fantastic. Michael, I'm so, I'm so pleased that you were able to join us today. Honored to have you as a guest on the show. I love Dream, seeing it become what it's become over the past 25 years. It's just so exciting to see uh, the impact that y'all have had for good. Well, Glad thank that you. you're at the head. Thank, thank you, you for very being much. here. I appreciate the opportunity, Gaden. Uh, listeners, again, our guest on the show has been Michael Lyle, the uh, director of Somerville Dream, which is doing awesome things. Check their stuff out and remember to shop local. You've been listening to Somerville Advice Givers Podcast, where we connect you with the advice you need for when life happens. I'm your host, Yaden Smith, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>